When I was a boy, I remember I was probably around eight or nine. My parents dropped me off at a friend's house to stay the weekend, and I think they were going to a Bible conference. And I remember getting into an argument with my friend. I, didn't, I don't remember the content of the argument. It went something like this. My dad's better than your dad. No, he isn't. Yes, he is. No, he isn't. Yes, he is. And then, of course, as boys are wont to do, it ended with a fist fight and us rolling around on the ground. Now, just say that I did win that particular argument. And his mother pulled me off of him, and then we were best friends after that. He had a newfound respect for me, and hopefully I think he respected and honored my father. But what was, what's interesting is that we care about the honor of some things, but often it's misplaced honor. Right? We get all riled up about something, defending some cause or something, but often the honor of God, we're less enthused about defending. In fact, we sometimes let things slide when others dishonor God. David and Goliath is perhaps the most well-known story in all of Scripture. Most of you know all the details of it. And so sometimes we approach this story and we have those familiar eyes. We need to be shooken. We need to be uh, taken through this text and look at it with new eyes. Remember, the structure from chapter 16 to chapter 20 is a chiasm. And the author gives us two episodes, not necessarily in chronological order, and a center in chapter 18 extolling that David rose in favor in Saul's court followed then by two more episodes that lead to show his downfall and leaving Saul's court. This is the second episode. Why is David experiencing favor in Saul's court? Now remember, what happened when the Spirit came upon Saul? And Samuel told him, when the Spirit comes upon you, do whatever your hand finds to do. And what did Saul's hand find to do? Nothing. He didn't do anything. He was supposed to take down the garrison of the Philistines that was in his hometown. But instead, he did nothing. He waited for Samuel. And so we asked the question, what, what would an ideal king do when the Spirit rushes upon him? And in our text today, we find an example of what that would be when David, who is an ideal king, and the Spirit has rushed upon him, what does he do? Well, he defends the honor of God. And he draws his confidence to defend God's honor from God himself. So as we open this text, I do realize it's a long text. I timed it this morning. It took me nine minutes to read it. So bear with me. We're going to read it in its entirety because it's important. It is the very word of God. So join me. First Samuel chapter 17, if you have a Bible or it's printed there in your bulletin. Now the Philistines gathered their armies for battle, and they were gathered at Soko, which belongs to Judah, and encamped between Soko and Ezekah in Ephesdamim. And Saul and the men of Israel were gathered and encamped in the valley of Allah, and drew up in line of battle against the Philistines. And the Philistines stood on the mountain on one side, and Israel stood on the mountain on the other side, with a valley between them. 
And there came out from the camp of the Philistines a champion named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. He had a helmet of bronze on his head, and he was armed with a coat of mail. And the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze. And he had bronze armor on his legs and a javelin of bronze slung between his shoulders. The shaft of his spear was like a weaver's beam, and his spear's head weighed 600 shekels of iron. And the shield-bearer went before him, and he stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why have you come out to draw up for battle? Am I not a Philistine, and are are you not servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves, and let him come down to me. If he is able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. And the Philistines said, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. When Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. Now David was the son of an Ephrathite of Bethlehem in Judah, named Jesse, who had eight sons. In the days of Saul, the man was already old and advanced in years. The three oldest sons of Jesse had followed Saul to the battle. And the names of his three sons who went to battle were Eliab, the firstborn, and the next to him Abinadab, and the third Shammah. David was the youngest. The three eldest followed Saul, but David went back and forth from Saul to feed his father's sheep at Bethlehem. For forty days the Philistine came forward and took his stand morning and evening. And Jesse said to David his son, Take for your brothers an ephah of this parched grain and these ten loaves and carry them quickly to the camp to your brothers. Also take these ten cheeses to the commander of their thousand. See if your brothers are well and bring some token from them. Now Saul and they and all the men of Israel were in the valley of Elah, fighting with the Philistines. And David rose early in the morning and left the sheep with a keeper and took the provisions and went as Jesse had commanded him. And he came to the encampment as the host was going out to the battle line, shouting the war cry. And Israel and the Philistines drew up for battle, army against army. And David left the things in charge of the keeper of the baggage and ran to the ranks and went and greeted his brothers. As he talked with them, behold, the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, came up out of the ranks of the Philistines and spoke the same words as before. And David heard him. All the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were much afraid. And the men of Israel said, have you seen this man who has come up? Surely he has come up to defy Israel, and the king will enrich the man who kills him with great riches, and will give him his daughter and make his father's house free in Israel. And David stood, and David said to the men who stood by him, What shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? And the people answered him in the same way. So shall it be done to the man who kills him. Now Eliab, his eldest brother, heard when he spoke to the men, and Eliab's anger was kindled against David. And he said, Why have you come down? And with whom have you left these few sheep in the wilderness? I know your presumption and the evil of your heart, for you have come down to see the battle. And David said, What have I done now? Was it not but a word? And he turned away with him from him toward another and spoke in the same way. And the people answered him again as before. 
When the words that David spoke were heard, they repeated them before Saul, and he sent for him. And David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go out and fight with this Philistine. And Saul said to David, You are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are but a youth, and he has been a man of war from his youth. But David said to Saul, Your servant used to keep sheep for his father. And when there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. And if he arose against me, I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them, for he has defied the armies of the living God. And David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, Go, and the Lord be with you. Then Saul clothed David with his armor. He put a helmet of bronze on his head and clothed him with a coat of mail. And David strapped his sword over his armor, and he tried in vain to go, for he had not tested them. Then David said to Saul, I cannot go with these, for I have not tested them. So David put them off. Then he took his staff in his hand, and he chose five smooth stones from the brook and put them in his shepherd's pouch. His sling was in his hand, and he approached the Philistine. And the Philistine moved forward and came near to David with his shield bearer in front of him. And when the Philistine looked and saw David, he disdained him, for he was but a youth, ruddy and handsome in appearance. And the Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. The Philistine said to David, Come to me, and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and to the beasts of the field. And then David said to the Philistine, You, you come to me with sword and spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you down and cut off your head, and I will give the dead bodies of the host of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel, and that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves not with the sword and a spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hand. When the Philistine arose and came near, drew near to meet David, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet the Philistine. And David put his hand in his bag and took out a stone and slung it and struck the Philistine on his forehead. The stone sank into his forehead, and he fell on his face to the ground. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and with a stone and struck the Philistine and killed him. There was no sword in the hand of David. Then David ran and stood over the Philistine and took his sword and drew it out of its sheath and killed him and cut off his head with it. When the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they fled. And the men of Israel and Judah rose with a shout and pursued the Philistines as far as Gath and the gates of Ekron, so that the wounded Philistines fell on the way from Sha'arim as far as Gath and Ekron. And the people of Israel came back from chasing the Philistines, and they plundered their camp. And David took the head of the Philistine and brought it to Jerusalem. But he put his armor in his tent. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this portion of your word. 
we ask, Father, not only that we may honor you, but that you would give us eyes to see that our confidence is found in you alone. As we look at this text, give us eyes to see and ears to hear. For we pray this in Jesus' name, and amen. So you know the story. The Philistines are arrayed against Israel on one side of the mountain, and Israel is on the other. And every day, this giant Goliath comes down into the valley and taunts Israel. Now, the Hebrews are not large people. Goliath is probably 6'9 to 7'5, somewhere in there. That's probably not a giant in compared to the NBA stars we seem to churn out, but he is carrying 110 pounds of armor. He is a trained warrior from his youth. And David is just a, a teenager. According to Numbers chapter 1, you have to be over the age of 20 to be a part of the army. And David is not. And so the battle is arrayed. And for 40 days, this giant taunts Israel and Saul frantic to find someone who will go out and face him. Then the narrator tells us exactly why is it that David finds himself at the battle line on this particular day to hear Goliath taunting. And that's because he's the youngest of three sons. And at this time, this is the army relies upon the sustenance that their families can give them. Otherwise, it's, they rely upon the plunder of their enemies. And so at this point, Jesse is taking care of his three sons who are at the battlefront. And David, because he's not old enough to be in the army, goes back and forth. And that's why it happens to be on this day when David brings the uh, preparations for his brothers that he hears Goliath make his taunt, defying the armies of Israel, and responds. Now, he re- he, he's asking so many questions about what's going to happen, what happens to the person, who's going to go out and take away the reproach of Israel. So much so that the news reaches to Saul, and he said, bring, they bring David before him. And David says, don't fear, I will go. And so he goes. He first goes with Saul's armor, but he is not able because he has not tested them. So he takes the weapons of a shepherd, and he goes, and he fights against Goliath. The question we're asking is, how does an ideal king who has the Spirit of God, what does he do? How does he act? And we see that he defends the honor of God. And we notice over and over in the text, there is a repeated refrain found first in verse 10, as Goliath says, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. I defy Israel. Again and again in verse 25 and in verse 26 and in verse 36 and in verse 45. And David, what's his response to this defiance of the Goliath, the giant? Well, in verse 26, he questions the men. What shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine? And notice what he says, takes away the reproach of Israel. For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? Who is this covenant breaker? This one who is uncircumcised, who is not a part of God's people. How dare he 
take the name of God in that way. How dare he defy God? And David is incensed. You sort of, sort of wonder, why is David, this teenager, why is he the only one that's incensed? Why is he the only one speaking in this way? Worried about taking away the reproach of Israel. Worried about the honor of God. Notice that if you, the, the logical implications of you defying the armies of God is that you have defied God himself. As his armies represent God. You see, the king of Israel is a representative. But he's also to be the embodiment of what an ideal Israelite should look like. He is to lead the people by living faithfully. He is to lead the people by being in tune with God, by listening to what God says, by hearing Him and obeying Him. You see, Goliath is a representative of the Philistines. He's their best. He's the one they send out. He's their champion. And if he wins, then the Hebrews will be servants of the Philistines. But if he loses, they will be the servants of the Hebrews. You see, Goliath is what Saul should be for the people of God. Why is Saul not going down into the valley and defending Israel? Saul's a giant. He stands head and shoulders over every man in Israel. Saul is perfectly equipped to do this job. He has now at this point, he has lost the spirit, but he had the spirit of God. But through disobedience, through failing to live in accordance with God's standards, now he's cowering in his tent. He's fearful. He's promising wealth, a royal alliance with his family, freedom from debt in the land of somebody will just step up and do what I am supposed to do. Saul doesn't care about the honor of God, not like David does. We see numerous examples in the Psalms of David pours out his heart and complaint as the wicked persecute the people of God. How can they do this when God is holy and righteous? How can they persecute your people? Because remember, what is it when someone persecutes the people of God? They are persecuting God himself. This is what Jesus tells to Saul who later is Paul on the Damascus Road, why are you persecuting me? What is Saul doing? He's killing Christians and imprisoning them because God is identified with his people. And if you you rail against the righteous, then you are railing against God. If you defy the armies of Israel, you defy God himself. And David cares about the honor of God. He's not worried about Goliath because he knows that all the enemies of the people of God are enemies of God. What have I to fear if they are an enemy of God? He will fight this battle. So Goliath is is nothing. Nothing can stand against God. Fundamentally, what drives David is his vision of the glory of God, that God is worthy of honor. And should never be defied, even by this uncircumcised Philistine. 
to know that, he has to be acquainted with them. You'd have to know the stories of how God has acted in Israel's history. He would have to know the promises of God and know that they are trustworthy and true. See, David was consumed with a passion for the honor of God, which led him to shrug concern for his personal peace and security so that he can defend the honor of God. What do you care about? I mean, above all else, what gets you out of bed every morning? What drives you to make the decisions that you make? Honest Self-reflective answers to these questions can be eye-opening. You might even find that like Saul, you've begun to be very pragmatic. I care about the honor of God. Of course I do. But I don't want it to cost me anything. I don't want to sacrifice. I don't want to take any risks. And oftentimes we, we look for the application of caring about the honor of God way out from where we can, the sphere of where we operate. We say, well, those people out there don't care about the honor of God. Nothing I can do about that. And then we're good. I care about the honor of God. I I don't want those people out there to dishonor God, but I'm not going to do anything about it. And meanwhile, so we're saying, man, look at those people in the LGBT community. They don't honor God. Meanwhile, we're addicted to pornography. Are we honoring God? The better question to ask is, of course, do I honor God? Am I honoring God? Before we can go and defend the honor of God out there, we must make sure that we are honoring God. Are we honoring God in our worship of Him? Or have we contrived ways that we, we find suitable for worship? Are we honoring Him in thought, in word, in deed? Is our life being conformed to Him? Do we have loyalty to God first over family, over anything? And this is hard. The number one reason why evangelicals are accepting and affirming of homosexuality is usually because one of their children or somebody they know has now come out and said, I am gay. And because they love that person, and rightly so, they're now changing their view of how God thinks about homosexuality. And that's because they have divided loyalties Their loyalty is not first to God. Jesus said, I did not come to bring peace, but I came to bring a sword. And brothers and sisters in Christ, if you are skipping church so that you can take your child to his baseball game, you are not honoring God. And you're not teaching your child to honor God. Your loyalty must first be to God. Like a muddied spring or a polluted fountain is a righteous man who gives way before the wicked. Proverbs 25, 26. Do you care about the honor of God? Then you have to start right at home. Honor God in your life and then move out to defend his honor in the public sphere. 
Start with asking, do I care about the honor of God? And then plead with the Lord, show me the ways that I am not honoring you. He will show you. And then repent and flee from those things. God will not be defied. We must care about His honor. And David cares. It moves him so much that he's willing to go out as a teenager against a giant, a warrior who is trained in battle. Where does he get the confidence to do that? Of course, he cares for the honor of God, but what drives him? What motivates him to, to step out? In, in uh, literature, there's something called flighting. It's a Scottish or it's actually a medieval poetic stylized form of trash talking, right? And that's what David and Goliath are doing. They're trash talking each other on the battle line. Goliath disdains David because he's a youth. He's thinking to himself, why is Israel sent this one that's so easy? Where's the challenge? He said, I'm not a dog that you would send me this and that I'm going to dispatch this person so quickly and his flesh is going to be for the food for the wild animals. But David's speech is even longer because he is, of course, the hero of this story. He says, you come to me with decked out in all this armor. You come to me confident in your strength and your skills. But I come to you in the name of Yahweh. You whom you have defeated. You have made God your enemy, my God. I will strike you down and I will cut your head off. And not just you, but all this host of the Philistines will become food for the wild animals. Notice, first, David accuses him of misplaced confidence. Goliath is confident because he's decked in armor. Because he's got his skills that he's built up. But he's also confident because he thinks he can defeat Israel's God. You see, many times these nations have their own gods. And the gods of the Philistines, when they win in battle, they were seen to be supreme. Have supremacy over other nations' gods. And David knows that. That's why he's challenging them in the name of the Lord. My God will be supreme. You watch. My dad is better than your dad. No, he isn't. Yes, he is. David knows and draws his confidence, not from his weaponry, but from the Lord. And he also promises defeat. David is confident that he will win because Goliath has defied God. And that's like a death sentence. You don't do that, and then come back from it. But notice also the purpose of the victory. It's not just so that David can get glory. It's so that Israel can see that there is a God. There is a God in Israel. And He can win battles. Not by the strength of horses, or armor, or giants. The battle belongs to the Lord. It's the show forth that the Lord is the Savior. And He's the kind of Savior that doesn't save in usual ways. 
that's because he's the Lord of the battle. Even before the rock is slung out, Goliath is already dead. David has already won. Because he knows that the Lord is not in the business to lose battles against giants that defy him. Whereas Goliath trusts in his strength, draws his confidence in his armor, David, over and over again, shows that his confidence is in the Lord. Notice how he responds to Saul. He says in verse 37, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. God is trustworthy. He has acted trustworthy in the past, delivering me from my enemies. I know he will do the same thing in the future. David relies on his relationship with God, that God has been faithful to him. David is the Lord's anointed, the Christ. He becomes a giant killer. A giant who resembles a dragon in his impregnable bronze armor, like the scales of a dragon. David crushed the head then of that ancient serpent, just as great David's greater son would do. The Apostle John tells us this in John chapter 19, verse 17. And he, that is Jesus, went out, bearing his own cross, to the place called the place of a skull which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. You see, Jesus is crucified in a place that everyone calls Skull, but its Aramaic name is Golgotha. Now, many think that Golgotha is a corruption of two words, Goliath of Gath. What does David do in verse 54? And David took the head of the Philistine and brought it to Jerusalem. What is the head of Goliath? It's a trophy that God has triumphed over his enemies. That David hangs this skull up so that people can be reminded that God is victorious. That he wins battles. That he defeats those who defy him. So it's no it's no wonder that nearly a thousand years later, David's son would hang on a tree on the very place David hung his trophy. A still greater reminder that Yahweh saves Jesus. And that salvation was just as David's. Not with legions of angels, not with a mighty arm, and perhaps the greatest defeat. No one could have anticipated Jesus would defeat death By dying. I love John Owens. Just the title of his his work. The death of death. In the death of Jesus Christ. That's marvelous. The death of death. In the death of Jesus Christ. Jesus faces his Goliath. He is strengthened with the same confidence. That enabled David to face Goliath. Remember on the cross. He's meditating on the Psalms. He cries out, Psalm 22, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then although he doesn't quote it, you know that he's rehearsing down through that psalm, whereas he comes to verse 8, 
recounting a scene that's so remarkably close to what Jesus is experiencing as he described, as David describes the taunts and jeers of the crowd at his feet. As he hangs on the cross, he says, He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. And David responds to the taunting jeers of the crowd. And no doubt Jesus is thinking these thoughts. Yet, you are he who took me from the womb. You made me trust you at my mother's breasts. On you was I cast from my birth. And from my mother's womb, you have been my God. Jesus trusts in God to deliver him from his Goliath. The confidence that upheld David all of his life is the same confidence that kept Jesus from death and rose him victorious. Having in his hands the emblems of power and authority, the keys of death and hell. And like all of Israel after Goliath falls, they share in the battle with David. They go and rout the enemy. So too do we share in Christ's victory and wage the good war of faith against the world, the flesh, and the devil. But in order to do so, we have to have the same confidence in God that David did. Do you have that kind of confidence that moved David to defend the honor of God by fighting Goliath? There's a famous quote from FDR that Courage is not the absence of fear, but rather the assessment that something else is more important than fear. David, I'm sure, was afraid as he stood before a giant. But what moved him to go out is the honor of God and his confidence that the battle belongs to the Lord. Paul said it like this, If God is for you, then who can be against you? No one. There is no enemy in this life or in the life that is to come that can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. When fear overwhelms any confidence we had in God, then fear will lead us to be passive. And then you will do as Saul does, frantically casting about for someone to do what you know you should do. Confidence implies trust. And trust is built on promises, on the promises of God and the action of God. And we have his word. We have, we have seen how the promises of God have been made yes and amen in Christ Jesus. We have seen that none of the word of the Lord has fallen to the ground or has returned to him void. But it accomplishes what he sent out. And that's why the promises of God come embedded in a story where we are reminded through these stories like this that God acts. He promises to defend His people and then He fulfills those promises. It's like show and tell. He tells us and then He shows us how He does it. And that's exactly what He's doing here in the life of David. Many of you have experiences of that in your own life as the promises of God break into your reality from the mundane to the inexplicable where you'd, that money that you're praying for, that you have that bill that you have to pay and you have no idea how you're going to do it. And then the money comes in. 
all the way from you are like me at the depths of despair, hopeless. And God intervenes, changes your life, transforms you, calls you to be his child, includes you in his family, and transforms your family, your life. Many of you have those experiences as well. That's the promises of God breaking into your reality. Proving, yet again, that God is trustworthy. We can put our confidence in Him because He doesn't fail. He never fails. He is always faithful, though we are oftentimes faithless. David understood this in tangible ways that moved him to act in great confidence. You come to me decked in armor, but I come in the name of the Lord. And that's it. Goliath is done. Remember, Jesus is greater than David and calls you to join him in the fray. Will you have confidence to follow the same path that he walked? And I won't sugarcoat it. The path to the resurrection is through the cross. If you want to share in a resurrection like His, then you have to be willing to share in His sufferings. Just as David did. There will be moments of great victory where Goliaths come tumbling down, but there will be moments where you're wandering in the wilderness, wondering, what are you doing, God? I have no idea where I am, and I can't see the light. There will be moments when your own son will stage a coup and you will be driven out of Jerusalem. And you will need confidence in God for those moments. For those times where you have to walk through the valley of the shadow of death. And if you don't have that kind of confidence, you will not persevere. You will not endure until the end. Jesus gives this promise to the church of Laodicea. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. That's a trustworthy promise. We have to have confidence in order to conquer. Amen? Let's pray together. Father, we are not as concerned about your honor as we should be. More often, we're more concerned for our own honor. Forgive us, O Lord, and give us a vision for the passion of your glory and honor in our own lives and in the world around us. And give us the same confidence that David had to step out in faith and defend your honor. We pray this in Jesus' name, and amen.